You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. In 2017, the Black Expat released a series of video interviews with Black folks living their cross-cultural lives in the Netherlands and Canada. And why we always get a ton of questions following a feature, it was these two, at the time, who probably smarked the most. Everyone wanted to know about the guys who then had that one soul food spot, otherwise known as Staring at Jacobs in Amsterdam. I'm pretty sure it was the featured chicken and waffles that showed up in the trailer that had people hooked. If you've seen the series, you know I'm talking about Noah Tucker, the American with the hard-to-miss Brooklyn accent, and Tony Joseph, the chilled-out Brit who hails from London. These accomplished chefs have worked in Michelin kitchens individually around the world before a chance opportunity over a decade ago led to this business partnership. They've opened restaurants, launched books, and are continually pushing the boundaries in the hospitality industry. It's been a few years since we've chatted, but they're still at it, stretching their culinary game. I talk about it all and more with Noah and Tony. How are you guys doing today? We good. Well, I can speak. Well, actually, we, we always speak for the second person. I'm good. It's funny because we spend so much time together. It's like, you know, because it's our. How you doing? Oh, no, we, 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 we good, man. We always kind of say it for the both of us. But there no, go. I'm good. I can't complain to be with you. Even, okay. even, even though the, the, the corona madness is still in effect, you know, I don't allow it to get me down. I don't allow it to annoy me. I don't allow it to affect me. We still move in. I so, have to, you know what I mean? So we know Tony's good. Noah, how you doing? I'm feeling great. It's hard to... You know, mess up my mood. I don't give that to a lot of people. I don't give that energy to a lot of people. Oh, it's no. real private. <laughs> I don't worry. That's like that's one of the keys to life. Like, yo, don't give that card out easily for somebody to mess up your mood or your, you know, your movement. And I understand like Corona's big, but like you just gotta pivot. We kind of just went digital. I mean, y'all already hit on it, so that was kind of the early questions I wanted to ask y'all being in hospitality and and obviously running your company fresh hospitality how has the rona impacted both of y'all the rona <laughs> um well okay so i think on a personal note um 
it kind of, I don't know, it puts you back in like, it, it kind of put me in check in a strange way, right? Like what's important, what's not important, kind of trims that fat for you, whether you want it to happen or not. Um, and I don't know, I like being humbled. I like that feeling. You know, I like, I do, I, I admit it. That's what, that's, that's part of traveling, right? Don't you become more humble automatically when you travel? Because yeah. you don't know really what's going on. So you kind of got to bow down a little bit to the situation and, you know, until you get acclimated. So I think that's what this was, right? This was like, oh, how do I reacclimate? You know, how do, how do we get used to this again? How do we how do we reposition so we can feel like this is the normal every day? Business took a different range. You know, we're, we're partners in a restaurant called Yerba. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the new venture. It's been there for about two and a half years. Um all vegan tasting menu, almost like on its head from what Jacobs, what you guys experienced last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into that and how that affected Amsterdam, funny enough. Mm-hmm. But and then we went digital. We created an app. We're part of an app right now, a global one that we started to launch for the restaurant sector. Mm-hmm. Um, still did a cookbook, did a TV show, um, working on a second cookbook. Like we pushed, like, as Tony said, like we pushed, like it's hard to fuck up our movement, our energy. (laughs) But it's okay. I think that's why, right? Like find balance, balance. Don't, don't let the narrative control you, I guess. And so for the people who don't know, and I already alluded to it, could either of you just give people a brief taste, even though you just dropped a whole bunch of projects. Right. What, what fresh hospitality is for those who don't know. Hit that, Tom. Well, uh, first and foremost, we we're chefs. That's that's the key principle of the actual company in itself. And from that, we kind of stay in our own lane. So anything that is horica related, we'll touch. So that comes that goes with consulting. As Noah said, uh, app which is obviously horica based as well. Oh, sorry, hospitality based. Any consulting that we do that we go in from restaurants, whether it's hotels from mom and pop to conglomerates, whatever it touches on in regards to hospitality, we'll deal with it. You know, as chefs, we've, we've learned to grow within this industry and not only as cooks, but as businessmen. So whatever it kind of takes us to do hospitality-wise, we, you know, we'll get into it. I mean, as I said, I mean, the, the, the last project we're doing right now is, is, is a book and it's a, cocktail, it's a cocktail book. It's based off the first book which we did for High Cuisine. So we kind of uh, parallel uh, a book next to that. The first one was High Bites and this one's kind of a uh, cocktail-based book. So it's High Cocktail. So we kind of... kind of. Uh, you don't know about High Cuisine, Tony. <laughs> oh. I was going to ask about that, but go ahead and drop that knowledge about High Cuisine. So this is what happened. The last time... Um, you guys came, we were in Jacobs, we had Jacobs and a couple other venues. Yeah. Uh, we sold all of that. Um, we took about a year and a half off or so. We just wanted to kind of, I don't know, we was going crazy. We had like four restaurants, mm-hmm. we were grinding really hard and nothing's wrong with that, but we felt like we were more concerned with the work than the project in a strange way. Hmm. And we we had a luxury we had a luxury moment where we could be like okay so everything is working is this really what we want and we, you know as chefs as owners we wanted to be restaurateurs and be a part of a bunch of different venues that are working and 
you know, financially kind of, you know, <clears throat> producing. And I think it happened. And then we were like, all right, is this really what we want to do? We just want to run around and check on people in the restaurants that we own. Like, we, I, I'm not into that. Huh. So, and that's, and also that's all we were thinking about was just like food and work. And it was like, that's also not healthy. You need to think about a couple of things in your life, right? You need to have hobbies. You need to have, right? Like other interests. So we sold everything and we took a year and a half off in that time. We built um, a concept that we were working on called High Cuisine. <laughs> and we also opened Yerba Restaurant uh, uh, with our partners, Sally and Walter. And the concept for High Cuisine is basically we go to their smart shops out here that sell alternative medicine, uh, so we say, right? And a variety of them, like 3,000 different types. Mm. Um, so we went to them, those shops, found some like, idealistic, you know, uh, uh, drugs that, you know, just do different things to you. Uh, and on a medicinal level, on a, on a spiritual level. And then we took our kind of knowledge from, you know, our pedigree of, of cooking and mixed it with caviar and, um, and langoustines and oysters and made a tasting menu out of it and created this concept where basically instead of drinking wine or having alcohol, mm -hmm. you have all these different types of drugs that mix psychedelics, cannabis, uh, kana, uh, you, you know, a, a Syrian rue, a, a huge range of it, everything microdosed, and you have these experience called high cuisine. So what? So we went out there and we, we, we pulled it off. We actually uh, produced a TV show mm -hmm. uh, with, and it's out still right now. It's been out for about a year plus, maybe. Plus. So obviously both of you, are, you're in the Netherlands. Yeah. How, how was that concept received? Um, <laughs> it is perceived, well, to be honest, we treat it as you know, research. This is this is journalism. We're under the the factor of we're exploring kind of new horizons with with food and drugs and the mixture of those. You know, I think when you know I explained it and what people are hearing is weed and psychedelics. Mm -hmm. But if we really go back to how we um, even eat right now, right? Let's look at some really common ingredients like oregano, garlic, onions, um, cinnamon. You know, all of the nightshade family. It it all of it is based off medicinal use mm -hmm. right like people didn't start to eat garlic because it's it tastes good mm -hmm. originally raw it's because it's medicinal right it's like nature's yeah. antibiotic yeah so we kind of we we just pushed it further you know what's to say that we still shouldn't be exploring these other herbs now mind you everything is natural everything is organic that we use it's nothing manufactured so we're going back to the same honeypot that our ancestors went to, right? Like mm -hmm. we're just looking for earth for different things. So some of them are antidepressant. Some of them are dream herbs. Some of them make you feel euphoric. Some of them are sedatives, right? <clears throat> so they're out there right now, right? Like we have versions of that that we've created into aspirins, but the pharmaceutical companies are something that we really trust. So if they say this is for depression, cool, take that. If they say this is for a headache, cool, take that. Stomach, mm -hmm. take that. Well, there's a whole different range of natural stuff that's out there. Um, and, but it's just, it's considered to be really taboo. And that's usually the, the, you know, the wall that when people hit, it's like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. Sorry. So what is the most, you know, least taboo thing in the world? Food. 
It's mm -hmm. most common thread that attaches all humanity, right? Even if you don't like somebody's culture, like genuinely, you'll eat their food. <laughs> right. Dead, right. Dead ass, right? Like, right. you'll be like, yo, I don't fuck with Russians. You will tear some caviar and vodka up. Right. Nice. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, you'll, what? Of course you will, you know? So I think it's there's something to be said for that was our intro and we treated it as such. And then instead of coming across it, like you see a lot of the kind of like, you know, fake shows on Netflix and the other ones where it's like, get high, la, la, la. This isn't that. We're really coming at you from a certain pedigree. We're doing a tasting menu for you. It's hyper controlled. We're giving you full research. We're going to the guys who grow it. We're going to the people who manufacture it, who sell it, who deal with it, who test it. Uh, and we went through, you know, an array of drugs and an array of chefs, and we did this all in the Netherlands. Um, and then we videotaped everything and, uh, and and polished it up super crispy clean, and got and got it um, and got it on, you know, video and put it on TV. So, so I, I was just gonna say, I love what you said about kind of going back to traditional and authentic. And it's weird because I, ha I was having this thought earlier today actually about medicine because most people know I'm first-gen American. My family is from Sub-Saharan Africa, you know, very much grew up in, in Cameroon. And I was thinking so much about how there's so, there's so many things that we see naturally grown, which Word. people would use, like my grandmother would use and my aunts would use and, and, and uncles. Was like common, common, common. Right. But then until it gets crushed up, and it's sold by a, a pharmaceutical company. All of a sudden, we're, we're, we're seeing all this marketing that says, oh, this will help X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, that's that leaf that used to grow behind my grandma's house. We just plucked that thing and put it in some water for like two days and drink it or whatever. And so, yeah, yeah I, think that, I think that really resonates. Um, oh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, but the problem I mean, with that is, as, as we already know, it, it's always possible. <laughs> Money always comes into the factor. It's yeah. how, how we market this to make us money. Even though we know that this hardly costs anything, we need to know how to make money from this. And that is mainly always the problem. Yeah. And nobody actually takes note of that. And it's like, why would you always have to listen to the pharmaceuticals about any drug? Just because <laughs> right. they say you have to use it. It's like... These these drugs that we use are tried and tested. They've been used for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, from tribes from Africa, from uh, Central America. These guys aren't wrong. They live off the land. So it's like, why can't we follow suit? Absolutely. And because there's a monetary effect always added to this, it always breaks down the, the, the barrier of it. So I'm curious, do you think, and, and I know, obviously, like I said, you guys are both in the Netherlands. Do you think that... If you had been somewhere else, you would have been able to get the same concept as successful off the ground? No, definitely not. I well, do. Now I do. <laughs> okay. I want to hear the for and the against. Go ahead. <laughs> in, in regards to how, what I achieved in the Netherlands or in regards to the projects that we've achieved? Because if we're talking about what I would have achieved in the UK, no, definitely not. No. Okay. I thought you were cuisine well no that's what I, well about high cuisine but i actually do like that point overall so let's look at high cuisine do you think you'd be able to do it outside the netherlands i Definitely. think in certain countries but the accessibility of the ingredients is crazy here but i think if you are out maybe i don't know that's such a it's such a 
That's so a hard question. question. Well, it's a hard question because, like, yeah, I'd be like, oh, we can do up in Oregon. You know, you, you know what Portland looks like right now? We won't, right. I wouldn't be doing food. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> right. Right? So, like, I wouldn't be doing any – we wouldn't be doing any of that nonsense. Like, nothing. So, I don't know. I think – well, the fact is, no, because we did it here, and we, we didn't pull it off anywhere else. Okay. And uh, it's not like we didn't shop it, right? So, the Netherlands is the one that actually, you know, helped conceive it. They helped – you know, kind of feed it, and they they ended up showing it. So, uh, yeah, I guess not. But the the girth of the the hospitality, fresh hospitality, hell no, I couldn't get away with this in New York. Tell me more. Uh, simple economics, right? A restaurant here costs you a couple hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. A restaurant in New York costs you over a million. And right, like yeah, economics. And up to this point, how many restaurants have you both collectively been part of? Six, seven. How many, Tom? Yeah, you 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 hit you hit it on the number six. Yeah. But that's from, that's down to ownership. But in regards to working in restaurants, it's right. it's, it's endless. Or opening, <laughs> yeah, opening <laughs> and, and working them. It's endless. I think six is six is work owned, right? Like yeah. that's yeah. six is work owned. Um, but now, actually, funny enough. There's only one restaurant. We actually don't work in it. We own it, and we're, well, we're partners of it. And the other managing partners are the ones who run it, right? So, like, we took a huge pivot. Yeah, um, but I'm glad we did, though, because now everything that we have is is digital. I mean, and that's where you have to be right now. That's the space that you're required to be in. You have to be comfortable in, you know, <laughs> on the line. Uh, and, and that's it, weirdly enough, that's where we started to pivot, right? We were like, yo, we're missing this, we're missing that. Then we helped create an app uh, for the hospitality industry, which is running right now. It's global. It's it's running from the Middle East all the way to Florida. <laughs> um, so, let me, so let me ask you uh, that follow-up question. Did y'all make the pivot... I'm presuming by the breadth of the stuff you've listed, did you make the pivot well before Corona? That was a decision. Yeah, like like, yeah that's what's going to say. Years, three years ago. Okay. Yeah. We kind of we kind of saw it coming to be honest with you. <laughs> well, you know what it was. We started to look at like, okay, as our portfolio for our hospitality company, where are we very short? Like, where are we not showing representation? And it was online. Mm. Right. Like yeah. tangible items. We were murdering it. You could come into our spaces. You could write. We would have events, parties. That was fine. But like online, because we didn't really care. We weren't creating any type of like passive revenue or or even like just, you know, just critical thinking that was past the point of just like, here's food. This is this is representing us. Yeah. So we were like, how can we do that? How can we what's still in our because we really do believe staying in your lane. Right. Like, but we just were like, yo, let's make that lane mad wide. Right. Like, that's how we can deal with it. So anything that had to do with the hospitality industry, we agreed that like, yo, we'll fuck with, we'll touch. And that was from a book to an app. Right. Like we were like, forget this. Let's just think bigger. How do we stretch ourselves and how do we get, you know, how do we represent ourselves and also start to create shit that's that's forever, mm-hmm. right? Like restaurants come and go, yeah. TV shows don't come and go. That shit is there. They they will. It's always trackable. It's oh right. It's always sellable. It's always another piece. So then we did a show. Then we did a book following the show, 
and it was called High Cuisine Bites. It was basically muses or small bites that you could do in your house, 20 recipes. They all had different drugs in them. So if you want to have a party, instead of everybody having alcohol, oh, let's have a little psychedelics. Everybody could take a little bite, microdose. Now, five years ago, it sounded, because we've been working on this for six years or so, like a long time. Now, when I say it, it doesn't sound so crazy anymore. Mm. Right? So it's also really fun to be part of that, that changing narrative of how people perceive drugs. Right? Um, no one would ever think about doing psychedelics, but now it's known to be an antidepressant if you microdose. Microdosing is a thing. Right. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a fucking thing. So it's really interesting to be pushing that narrative unbeknownst to the rest of the world in our own little corner as we and we our way to do it was not through you know uh eating crappy food and kind of struggling through it we were like nah man if you're eating mushrooms or this or that why not just flavor profile it and put it with something that it goes with so then it's super enjoyable and that's the memory you have and that's 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 how you walk into this it's really not just you know because listen everybody on this planet does some type of drug caffeine sugar nicotine it, it doesn't i don't care what you do something and all of those drugs right especially those primary ones that are at the top of the food chain they're all stronger than any drug we're talking about hmm. and they're all way more harmful than any drug we're dealing with right so i think we just put it really into perspective knock some taboo down and and also i think for brown people right like yo show up yeah show up if you got an idea, most likely it's banging. Yeah. <laughs> Try it, push it, go yeah. for it, yeah. right? Like support your own idea, support your own, you know, creativity. And I think that's that's the benefit of Tone and I, right? Like we can really bounce ideas off each other and, and get the ball rolling between the two of us and then find people who are also into it and create this narrative. And maybe it is easier over here doing that, right? Because it's mm. Tone and I. I don't know another black New Yorker out here who is in hospitality. I swear to you. Same way. It's the UK also. Yeah. It's Do you? I don't. You no. no. I'm just going to say Amsterdam, but I know it's past Amsterdam, but I can speak for the million people that are in Amsterdam, that it is singular in, in whom we are. Hmm. Right. So that's bananas, that thought. <laughs> and that's big. So it's like we, we have a lane. We, you know, we might we well take, take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. How did... Some folks don't know this, but how did y'all even find each other? <laughs> like, I know y'all have been working together for a long time, but how, how did y'all even initially find each other? Yeah so, basically, yeah, so basically what happened was I had a friend of mine who was a recruiter. And um, I remember days. I had a friend of mine who was a recruiter. And I was at a restaurant, uh, and I was literally dying to death with the chefs that I had. They were just, I was just, you know, in and out, they were coming in and out, you know, they, they, they'd last days with me. And I needed a number two, basically, so I could have somebody that could bounce off me, work with me, and allow me to be off, because I literally was working seven days a week. Mm-hmm. So he sent me a copy of Noah's CV, and when I read it, Noah Gitzlitz Tucker, I just assumed some Jewish boy from Brooklyn. <laughs> Yeah, so it, the, the funny thing is, um, the day he arrived into the restaurant, somebody called me and said, oh, there's Noah here. Walked out into the restaurant. We both looked at each other like, 
Noah, he's like, Tony. It's like, I never expected a black guy to walk through because obviously being in the Netherlands, I didn't expect it, especially somebody not from here. Mm. Yep. So basically what happened was, um, he did a couple of days with me. We kind of clicked, worked really, really well. And, and then um, uh, he was my number two for, for a year in the restaurant. And from that, um, Noah then left uh, convinced me to leave a few months later because obviously he wanted to get into consultancy. He knew that there was a, uh, a possibility of us owning a restaurant because my initial thought when I first came here, I came here in 2004, I actually wanted, I wanted to open up a restaurant, but I didn't find anybody that was compatible with me. So basically what happened was I just said, look, I'm just going to be a chef. I'm going to work till I... Uh, uh, retire as a chef. I'm not going to even pursue it because I didn't find anybody that I knew that I could work with. And then, lo and behold, Noah came along and literally convinced us to uh, get into the restaurant game, bought a restaurant, and kind of it's history from there. And we've kind of been working together for about 12 years, you know? So, yeah, it's been good. It's been fun. We've been we've we've been man, managed to accomplish a lot, and we've done some really really interesting stuff. So, yeah, and we and we keep going. That's the thing, you know what I mean. The beauty of it is, and we always said it from day one, it's business. It ain't personal, it ain't friends. It's business. Business, and that's where a lot of people fail because they take it personal. Like, I won't allow him to fuck my day up, and he won't allow my day to be fucked up. At the end of the day, we're both sure. alphas. The only thing that's going to happen is we're going to fight. Then we fight, it's over. So it's like, you know, we have somebody, we, have, we both have somebody that we can literally work well together with, be able to do stuff and, you know, not get offended by the other person because that's the problem. You get offended by somebody, you work with them for an amount of time and it's like, you get bored with people. And it's like, you know, we've been very lucky that, you know, from this we've become friends, you know, our families are gel together, you know. Yeah. We know each other in and out, you know, and it's been nearly 13 years, so. It's wow. gone from strength to strength, yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I guess that kind of begs the question, and, and especially you telling that story, what if some of the challenges you've just seen, Tony, even just being a black chef in the Netherlands, are there challenges that you've seen, and as well as being an expat? No, you know why? Hmm. I, I've, from a very, 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 very young age, I never ever allowed my skin color to be to affect me in any way. Mm -hmm. my, my thought process always was: if I got a job, if I went for a job and I didn't get a job, I weren't the one that went. Oh, I didn't get the job because I was black. Mm -hmm. My thought was: I didn't get the job because they thought I wasn't good enough. The next person's got to think I'm good and they're going to pay me more, and that's how I've always lived my life. So I've never allowed any of that stuff to affect me, and I won't allow it to affect me. Mm -hmm. Like I always say, I see a gap. I'm make it wider. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's the difference. I never, ever, ever once would say, Oh no, I didn't do this because I'm not going to do this. No, 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 no. I'm just going to do it. And if I fail at doing it, that's down to me, not down to anybody else. That's down to me. Yeah. And, it, and, and, and it's worked for me. It's worked for me. And I can't, I, I can't complain in regards to how things have gone throughout my whole life, even through my career in the UK, you know, it's a lot different, especially growing up in the era that I grew up as a chef. There wasn't that many black chefs within the industry. I never allowed that to be a difficulty. Mm -hmm. It didn't bother to me. I actually didn't see, I never even saw that as an issue. I just thought, 
I want to be a chef. I want to be the best chef that I possibly can be. How do I get to be that? And it was just basically going through working with the great, some great people and a lot, not allowing my skin color to even allow me to hold, to be held back, you know? Mm. So for me, I've been very, very fortunate. The people that I've worked with and the choices mm. that I've taken when I've taken jobs, that's all, that also helps. Gotcha. And, you know, I've, I've, I've made sure that no matter what I do, I've, my, my integrity is always held in, 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 in place. Okay. So with that, with that, I think I, I kind of want to make a pivot because, you know, it, it is 2020 and this has been a, I don't know, a wild year. What are we entering September at this point? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it has been a roller coaster year. Um, I've just been really interested just hearing from both of you, obviously, once again, Noah, you being from the States, Tony, you being from the UK, just sort of seeing everything that's been popping off. I know, obviously, in the US, like, the, I don't even know if I want to say the latest tr- trigger, because it was George Floyd, but now we on Jacob Blake. So <laughs> just what do you, I, dimension. you know, as I think as black men and, and kind of seeing what's going on, what has been sort of your thoughts kind of looking out looking in as far as the U.S. is concerned and even stuff that you're seeing living in Europe? Personally, I just think America on the whole is just bananas right now and the shit that you see going on. I mean, I've been very fortunate in my life that I've never had to witness that type of stuff growing up in the U.K. or be a part of that. I mean, I, and I, I'm, Noah and I, we talk about this uh, in regards to how uh, – you you are treated by the police and you know they understand that they work for you and not vice versa so for me growing up i i never kind of was in that position and obviously america and uk is completely different when it comes to policing and for me i never was ever in a position where when i needed the police they didn't help me whenever i've needed the police they've helped me in every aspect to the law and they've done it with grace so I, I, I really can't say in regards to my experience nice. about bad police and so on and so forth. But when I see what goes on in the, uh, in, in the States, I, I have no words. Hmm. I, I, really, I really have no words. It's just utter craziness that you see this. And it's not once or twice. It's on a daily. So you can imagine going back to the 80s when phones weren't around when black people were saying, this is how it is. And they're like, ah, you just, you're just talking. It's like, people are getting caught up because there's phones. So you imagine all the stuff that used to happen back in the day that wasn't documented. Mm-hmm. But the worst thing about it is, you know, all these people, it, it's good and bad because you see all these people coming out of the woodwork. Now, to be honest with you, I'd rather know that I can see a racist head on than an underlined racist, because they're the worst. It's like, I see you as a racist, you don't like me, I don't like you, let's keep it moving. But it's the underlying races of that, you know, the people that are behind your back that are trying to get you, those ones are the problem, you know what I mean? But in regards to the States, man, I, I honestly, I have no words, man, I, I really do. And I have very, very fond memories of being in the States. I've lived in the States for about a year and I lived in Lake Placid and that is as redneck as you possibly can get. And I got shown nothing but love out there, you know. So my perspective of how I view America then to now is two different parts. It it really is. But in regards to what's going on right now, it 
you know, I, I, I have no words and I, I, I've never lived through that. I mean, I'm sure Noah's got more stories to tell and more personal things to say on this. But for me personally, it's just like, you know, I, I, I've, I have, I have no words, man, really, honestly. I'm just I'm just sickened on a day to day basis in it, and, you know, and it just it gets me that the fact that, that this happens and it goes on, even though they try to um, do police reform, and all the stuff that's gone on in the last few weeks, it mm-hmm. still hasn't made a difference. It's as if it's getting worse, and you know what what can what can you say? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm just really really shocked. Really am. Noah. Yeah, that's a loaded ass question. Uh, I think that one, black folks need to be real careful of their environmental conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what our mental diet is, what we allow ourselves to absorb on the daily. Mm-hmm. And I think on so many angles, black folk got to do as a community, we have so much work to do from internal and external. Um, we got a lot of healing and a lot of building. We got a lot of fucking therapy that we need. You know what I mean? Like there's so many levels to, to what it takes to get something to like an even comprehensible, you know, conversation or moment. It's, it's, it, we, we, we're dealing with it right now on both ends and we're seeing it for the first time really out, you know, really genuinely stripped back, you know, stripped away where, it, we're seeing the political and the, the systemic angle where it's now lo- no longer, you know, deniable. It really is clearly is not because it can get documented. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so there's no more like crazy nigga. That, that's not a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But on the same note, like we still killing ourselves. We still killing each other. Like what the fuck? What in the fuck? So I think there's such a, there's such a line that, that we, it's, a, it's hard, yo. And I, I mean, the way that I deal with it is that I disattach because I don't feel like America owes me shit. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, it's land. Like, can we, like, on, this is me, right? This is, and I'm, I'm from like, I'm, I'm pretty American on one side. So my background is mixed, right? I'm Jewish. I have a white mother who's Jewish, Ashkenazi, uh, from New York, probably about, I don't know, 10 generations back. Like my great great grandfather was born on Orchard Street. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, and then my father's side is from down South Georgia, right? Like old bootleggers, like making, you know what I'm saying? Making that, that drink in the back of the house, selling it. So it's iconically American, right? So from sharecropper to, you know, bootlegger moving up to New York, literally from Georgia, my grandmother who couldn't read and write, um, had eight children, projects, three bedroom, you know, so like on that end and then the other side is this like hardcore Jewish sharing coals with each other, heating up their apartment, you know, uh, on the correct line of the redlining so they could get loans, got a house, you know. So I there's this real old school history for me when I look at America. I was in the military for almost five years, so I find myself to be a true patriot. Right. And an American. But I still don't think America owes me shit. Like. I'm not, I'm not fighting for this shit. I'm out. It's an economic war. Bodies equal money. Like, understand the game. If you leave the system and you interject your income into something else, it weakens it. So, like, 
What are we doing? What are we fighting for? I understand not everybody has the privilege to just uproot themselves and go, right? Uh, nor the want. Some people have a different mentality than me. But the way that I deal with it, because I'll be dead. I would be dead. And uh, living in the States, I, I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have that intellect to be calm in those moments. Yeah. So, uh, and my father thanks me every day for leaving, mm. right? My father is 70, you know, he's 69, he was born in 1951. He was mm. from a very different era. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I'm saying? He is this old school, iconically black American male um, with all of the glorious trimmings that you get with it. And it's like, um, he couldn't be happier that I'm not there. Hmm. And that speaks fucking volumes, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm happy that you have, and I think we have to understand, right? Like most blacks come from the South, you know, now it's a three hour plane ride, but before it was like a week, a month journey, right? right. And not even that long, it was a week journey, like just getting up here. Right. So tell me what the difference is of flying in a plane seven hours to change your environment. Hmm. Why is that so crazy? Because that's how far Europe is. That's how far Africa, a chunk of Africa. That's how, like, it's not that far. Right. So why, so for me, it's, it's also like, we are people of movement. You know, there's that, there's that, there's that saying that, you know, black Americans are, are, you know, don't really have a home, right? Like we're not accepted in our own homeland. We're still called African Americans. We don't call white people European Americans. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's, it's on fundamental. It's so the language. And so I think we're, we're, it's just too far led astray for me to be like, Oh, I'm fighting this for my kids. Nah, you're bugging. I'm going to a spot where my kids are safe. I'm not playing this game with y'all. My money's going to a different evil. Let's refocus here. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because there's no like ideal space. It's just what choose what you choose that you think that fits your moral standards and the patience that you can kind of adjust to. It might be Mexico City. It might be Hawaii. It might be what what wherever. But I think we need to also think bigger, right? You know, as a and then if you're not going anywhere, look at look at the blacks' financial power. We are a trillion dollar machine. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We do not use it. We do not ask for anything. We do not demand for anything for our financial vote. We just carry on and consume as we are told. Mm-hmm. You know, we got we got fucking easy. We made him a billionaire. We can't get him to shut the fuck up. Like, are you kidding me? Like on some basic shit, not let's attack Nike and tell Apple we're not buying them for a week until you do this. Like that's right. Like it's just so amazing to me. So I don't have the patience for that shit. Maybe if I'm maybe if I'm healthy, I get a good 80 years. Nah, I gotta make a pivot. My kids, nope. I'm not. They're not doing that. I'm not. I'm not dealing with uh, a phone call. Yo, dad. Uh, I pulled over. The cops was following me for like the last five miles. I just pulled over. I'm in a Dairy Queen. I'm not going. I'm not doing none of that fucking work, right? Like I'm not. I'm not up for it. I'm not playing the game with y'all. Fuck that. Cancel that Christmas. I'm not coming home. I'm curious. Uh, how many kids do you have? I have two. And boy and a girl, son. I have a son that's uh, eight and a daughter that's four. 
And and Tony, how do you have children? Yeah, I have a boy that's 15, going to be 16 next year, and I've got a 13-year-old who's going to be 14 pretty soon. You just saw his big-ass son walk behind him. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I was thinking about what you both were saying, and particularly, Noah, obviously, because you're the, the American in the space. And one of the things that often comes up, even if pe- people move, as you know, people move for a variety of reasons. But one of the absolutely. things that, but I think is absolutely fascinating, particularly with, with black folks who move, particularly black Americans, is those who have children go, you know what, just the, even if I don't like where I am, the peace that some of them feel, where their yep. kids are, they, you know, they're like, I may, I, I probably would have not chosen this place, but the fact that I'm in some part of Europe or I'm in some part of Africa or whatever, it's that piece. And I'm just curious, like, you know, and, and so you could definitely jump in. And I know that even though you aren't American, but what is then the relationship that you see that your children have with, with both of the places y'all grew up? Well, I'll, 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 I'll go off on that one. So... <laughs> I, I, I love London, London born and bred, I'm, you know, to the core, East London to the core. I rep that till I die. But I don't want my kids growing up there as much as I loved it and appreciated it and it made me the person that I am today. I want better for my kids. Mm. And, and, and moving, especially to here, was a very, very calculated move. I mean, for me, my wife is Dutch, so it was a better transition for, for, for most. I'm very lucky that I have a great extended family here. We all get on. And the fact that I don't have to worry to an extent that what my son is doing or where my son is or who is with or what he's going to get himself into. Mm. That's, that, that was my main concern about everything because you've got to remember as soon as you have kids it ain't about you anymore it's about your kids i want to know that i can provide for my kids and put them in a safe environment and give them more than what i had and hopefully that breaks the cycle and then every generation can be able to do that from Mm. you know i grew up council estate till i left i have no issues with that i don't want my kids growing up in a council estate Personally, for me, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but I want to break that cycle. My kids only know me as a homeowner. So when they leave, they become mm. a homeowner. Gotcha. Economics. And then it breaks the cycle. Then they know that we own businesses. Breaks the cycle. I need to own a business. That ne- doesn't necessarily mean you have to, but it just shows that it's possible. It's a possibility. I've come from another country here and achieved this. There isn't any reason why you can't do better than what I've done mm. and achieve much more than me. So for me personally, yes, I love London. I love Ghana, but like, I love the fact that my kids can go here for, you know, ride, ride, riding freely. They, they necessarily don't have a curfew. My daughter's 13. She tells me, dad, I want to go to a party. What time, what time's the party until? It's until midnight. Here are the rules. Don't bust those rules. If you break those rules, this shit ain't happening again. And I and she can move freely. I can't pick her up. I drop her off, whatever. Same for my son. My son says to me, Dad, I want to go. What time? Yeah, I don't know, you know. One o'clock in the morning, midnight. Good. You know the rules. I'll come scoop you up. Break those rules. You know the consequences. 
I don't have to worry because I know he's in a safe environment. I know that there isn't anything out there that is looking to do him harm as it would do in the UK. It's like, you know, walking anywhere at night in the UK, doesn't matter what, what part of the UK you're in, you've got to have your wits about you. And not to say because we're here, things are rosy, rosy. No, I still have that UK mentality. That would never, ever leave me, even though I know that we're very fortunate where we live and, you know, there isn't that much crime. You know, I, I, I live in, a, in, in the suburbs, if you will. I know shit ain't going to happen. You know, I'm one of the only two black people in my village. I'm fine with that because I've broken that cycle. And the reason why I did that is for my kids. It ain't about me. Mm. I'm good. I've lived a happy life to now. If I can see my kids graduate, do their thing, and I leave this earth, I'm good. But I did this just for my, for, for my kids so they can understand and know what's going on in this world. And as far as London, the attachment to that is, I still have a big family there. My kids, yeah. my kids can move freely. So if they ever decide that they, don't want, they, they want to kick it from here and, and move to the UK, I've got my peoples in the UK that, that can look after them. So I'm, I'm good on that side as well, you know? Hmm. Gotcha. Noah? Yeah. <laughs> um, so my story is obviously different when it comes to that. My, uh, my children were born here, so mm. they only know this. Um, they were born, uh, you know, a mile away from our house right now. Mm. So my son and daughter only look at America as some place you go on vacation as. And that's probably what it will stay as. Um, you know, it's not, I, I don't, I don't find the, they will understand history of America, of us as a people. Um, you know, but my wife is also, she's from New York. She's from Brooklyn. So a Dominican Haitian woman from Brooklyn. Right. So we came here together 13 years ago. I missed half of Bush, all of Obama, all of Trump, basically. So I'm, I'm quite happily detached in my own reality from America at this point, you know what I'm saying? And um, I visited like every two years. So I'm not really, I mean, I don't know. I was born and raised in New York. So it's not going anywhere inside of me. It's there forever. You can't kill that. You know, you can't shake that. That accent's still there. So it ain't going anywhere for yeah, anything. That's right. <laughs> right. So... You can't change. That's part of right? Isn't that just part of you at this point? Like, I'm 43. That's just who you are. So I think my kids, I don't require them to be New Yorkers. I really don't. I want them to be global citizens. I want them to, you know, like, they feel like, oh, boom, we hit New York this summer. But actually, we're going to go hit Paris and go to the Louvre. And then we're going to go, you know what I'm saying, see Mona Lisa and see you know, some, some Venus de Milo, and then we're going to go down to Nice and chill in Nice. Like, fuck, you know what I'm saying? Maryland, fuck that. Like, <laughs> so I just think, like, we can do better. We can, I can do better. I'm going to try to do better for them. And you know what? My parents murdered it. I think they did a brilliant job as, like, providing me with experiences and, and, but why would I not take advantage of that? If they did that for me and they showed me that world, why would I not go twice as far right like yeah. it, you know and um i think that's 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 almost like a responsibility right like my grandmother came up from atlanta mm-hmm. she hustled got went through i don't even know what you know what i'm saying like in the 40s and 50s 
having eight children. And it's like the least I owe to all of that, all of that struggle and hustle and grind and gristle is like, keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Like, keep that shit moving. Are you trying to tell me that my grandmother or my great-grandmother wouldn't be like, no, yeah, get the fuck out of America. Go, go, like, go do your thing. After all the pain we done been through, go. Mm. You know, I, it's so interesting. I wonder, I, you know, if you want to hear some deep shit, a deep question, I wonder if we could ask, like, a, a slave, right, four generations back, if they were like, you want to stay for this country and fight for it, or you want me to bring you over to Europe? Mm. Right? Or the artist of the 50s, right? Like a James Baldwin even. Fuck, going that far back. Right. If we asked them, like, so what was... What would you rather? You rather fight be down here? You want to live down in Alabama, or you want me to drop you off in France? Right. I don't know if that narrative has changed for maybe just people who think different. Right. There's a freedom you're you're allotted out here. Like it's just different, and and I know it sounds so pedestrian of me being like it's different, but the energy is you know racism is economic. It's not violent, so it's like yo, let's count all one, shall we? You know what I'm saying? Like, let's count up because I've been grinding. Yeah. So I think that's what it allows you. It, it, you can just carry on. There is no. And I agree. Tony said the statement where it's like, you know, I don't I don't allow myself to be uh, racially stereotyped um, or put myself in that mind frame. Right. And I'm going to be dead ass like I'm so hyper conscious of it that still, right? I'm a grown ass man. I've been here for a long ass time and I walk through a store and I still do the thing to be like, yo, let's make sure that they not thinking that I'm stealing shit. And I check myself. I'm like, yo, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like use your, so use your logic, use your general math to be like, how many times have you been stopped for stealing something? Not when you was 15 and you were stealing some shit. I'm talking about as a grown, as a grown man, how many times have you been stopped by somebody? It's it's oddly low, so it's like we also have to recondition ourselves in a certain way as well, right? Now I can have the privilege because I'm saying that over here. That's not the case in America, right? Because mm-hmm. you could think as much as you want, fuck around, you just walk out the the store and get shot in your chest. So it also allows you to have a different mentality. So I think that's a big part, right? Like that mental conditioning, like I started off with and I'm hyper conscious of it. I'm, I'm, I'm so conscious of it now. It's almost uh, like a pastime, right? We just said it. Remember we were talking about black money. Mm -hmm. That fucking narrative of like black cat, black guy, da 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 black. And it was like, you know, under the table is called black money and, and legal money is called white money. It's like, come on, man. Like, this is so much like underlying, just like self hate, self little funny, little off fucked up narratives that make you feel. And it's like, it's your language. It's your buying power. It's your, it's everything. It's everything. And it's worth just being as conscious as you can about it and making sure your business and your family and everything else is, is how you want it, you know? Um, and I don't know, it feels like this place allows me to do that. It, it allows you to breathe easily. That's what it is. You know, I, I was struck by what you were saying because 
as someone who clearly is currently in the U.S., I think one of the challenges is it's sort of like you breathe the air mm-hmm. and then when you step out <laughs> and you realize that maybe the air doesn't always smell like that. Right. And and I think, you know, for people who know me, one of the, the, the fortunate privileges I had was that as a young person, so as a middle schooler, high schooler, before I came to college, in my case, I grew up in a predominantly black country. So I was born in the States and then hopped, <laughs> went to Africa for like middle and high school and then came back. And so I think having breathed air from somewhere else and then coming in also changes yep. the point because I've always said, when you get affirmed in who you are, and I, and I like what Tony was talking about. Look, even when I go for a job, I know who I am. I'm not, I do what I do. And I don't even let this idea of, of how I present, what my skin color is really impact, you know, how I'm, how I'm perceiving the process. I will always say, if you are affirmed in who you are, and especially if you're a minority, you are affirmed. It's almost like this armor you get where it kind of, filter some of that air out. And so even in what you're saying is true, I think that what is a challenge for many of the black expats I've talked to who are American is when you move to somewhere else, there's a lot of stuff, like you said, that you've got to recondition, uncondition, let go. Word. And, and you don't realize that until you go somewhere else. I was talking to a black American woman who lives in Ghana and she said, look, when, when people come to the continent for the first time, there's a lot of stuff people got to deal with emotionally, especially when they're coming for a heritage tour. Like yeah, I lived they, in Ghana. I lived in Ghana. they have to realize that they <laughs> who have like soaked up that they actually have to address. And, and if you haven't addressed it before, Woo, you go, you're going to feel it. And so um, I love what you're saying about mental wellness because you're right, like especially this year. This year has been like thing after thing after thing. And the thing is, it's been the same things, but it's just that it's been so much. And because of COVID, we all at home. You know what's important, you know what's important too <clears throat> with us as Black folks? We have to remember if a Black person you know doesn't feel like doing shit about what's going on, they have every right to. Every day they wake up Black, they walk around Black, they deal with this shit. There's no forced hand. You're not allowed to say, like, you're not being Black enough or pro Black. Right. And we have to be, also be okay with that and not be mad. It's like, it's, if you don't feel like doing shit except just waking up and trying to fucking survive, do your thing. You got that right. Right. And you're going to get as much respect for just showing up and not acting the ass and just doing your thing as somebody who is out on the streets pushing the narrative. It's like, that's also okay. Like we have to be with just, and it's a rough one. It's a, it's a, it's a harsh learning curve. You know what I'm saying? For, for, for Brown folks right now, we, there's a, it's a, it's a mass amount of information we are taking in and we have to file it correctly. So it doesn't turn into this one big, like hate, you know, message. Um, because it, it, you know, that's going to weaken it, right? Hate is just going to weaken something. And it's, it's, it's a hard one, yo. It's because you, because right now it feels like it's all against us, right? The narrative um, with media is so clear and it's so fucking well edited um, that we will go for anything right now to make us angry. Right. Because it's still bread and circus. Don't get that fucked up. It's still, they're still doing bread and circus. It's not NFL anymore. 
It's just fucking protest riots. And it's still like business carries on. As we do all this shit, real business, like real business, is still carrying on. Right. You know what I'm saying? You can still go get gas in your car, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is your water still working? You yeah. still got electricity? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The business is still working. And after y'all finish burning down the city, somebody's going to get that contract and become another billionaire. Like, what in the fucking fuck? And I'm not saying, listen, I hope they burn everything down. Like, don't get that messed up neither. Like, protesting is appropriate. They're not listening. When we on our knees, when we nothing when we walk in when we quiet when we so i try this so i'm not against that at all don't get me wrong i'm just saying as a collective if we're gonna act like we're all saying or singing the same song we really should learn to do so so i you know with both of you being where you are have you seen have there been protests anywhere near where you you're living in amsterdam or any other parts of the netherlands oh there was they had a couple they had a huge, yeah, they had a huge process here. Um, I, I'm, I'm, actually su- I'm actually surprised how many black people came out to be on the here because I will be, I will be dead ass and tell you that black people don't support black people out here, man. I don't give a fuck. I'm saying it. They don't support out here. So I was surprised. I was surprised to see it. I mean, there are, there are some movements out here. I mean, I know you know the whole Swatter Pete, the black Pete, the black face. You, you know about that. So there is that that goes on every year, but... The problem I have with that is it rears its ugly head once a year. Everybody, everybody, everybody shouts about it. Everybody protests about it. As soon as it's over, let's wait for next year. It's not an ongoing. It's not a protest in my eyes. It's just basically shit happens. Oh, I'm not happy right now because this shit is happening. I've been coming back and forth here for many, 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 many years. It's only in the last couple of years that this Swatter Peak kick-out racism has been really pre- prominent. Mm-hmm. So my thing was, what the fuck were you doing five, six, seven years ago? Because that shit's been around for a minute, and yeah. it was in your fucking face. Like in your face, you go, you go to like <laughs> there's this huge department store called the, buy, called the Buying Court. They had these two figurines, ten foot apiece, of these these uh, puppets in blackface climbing up this rope, and I'm like, what the fuck? And they just allow this shit to slide. <laughs> so for me, it's like if you're gonna protest this. You've got to protest it in the right way. You're going to be on it. Because if they had done this from, so for instance, it happens in December. So weeks leading up to that, people are out in protest. Oh, kick it out, kick it out. It's like, no, why don't you, why don't you don't start that in the summertime? You know that shit coming. Keep that shit ongoing because they would have got a lot. Keep that energy, energy, right? Keep that energy. They would have got, they would have got a lot more results because then it's like, oh, uh, Oh shit! The black people are out again, man. Uh, it's two weeks. It'll be over. Uh, we'll wait another year. It's just like no. Right. You're gonna protest about that shit. Keep that shit on going because that's the only way the government listen. Mm. They're starting to listen now because of the nature of what's going on around the world. Right. That's why people are starting to listen now. But okay. if the shit weren't evolving how it is right now, that shit would still fly. Nope. And don't get me wrong. Any boys out there that protesting, I know, I know all you brothers out there protesting. I don't, I respect that. But my, my, my thing is as well. So, like, 
You know, you, you do that shit a little earlier, man. Keep so, that shit on going. Keep that vibe going, man. So you said Let something super. You said something super funny. So not not the event, but in terms of the number of black people. So in terms of movements, because obviously, if you've got a reference point from the U.S obviously with numbers folks are loud and, and whatnot but in terms of this you were surprised how many black folks were out with the george floyd situation in in the netherlands were you surprised yeah i, I really I, re, I really was like i said I mean, there, there are there are a lot of guys that are, are on it and are protesting and, and they and, and they're fighting the cause and so on and so forth but um it's not something that i would normally do I did it for a reason, and my and the re- one of the main reasons I did it because my daughter, my daughter wanted to go, and I was like, okay, you want to see how broke this, and it's, it's, it's about the situation that's going on. Let, yeah. Let's go. So I took her there. So it was her first process. She obviously wanted to be there. She wanted to see what was going on. I was, I was, ta- I was taken aback at how many people showed up. I was actually impressed. A lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people turned out, man. And it was, wow. and, it, 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 and 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 people listened. Mm. That's it was the thing. Peaceful. It was super peaceful. They, people listened, and that's the thing. It was very, very peaceful. They got their point across. It was very, very orchestrated, and yeah, and and people listened. Wow. So it 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 did its job, and then Rotterdam came out. Utrecht came, like city yeah. to city came out. So I was like, I was impressed. I was really impressed. I was like, damn, I never knew this Netherlands had that many black people. <laughs> I love how we're always surprised when we see each other at, at protests or events and go, you know, I'll see y'all at any other stuff, but this is, this is big enough that we all got to be out in these streets. And That's the first time I ever went to a protest in my life. <laughs> yeah? Likewise. Yeah. I don't, I don't go to protests. I'm doing that thing. I'm not. And I know it sounds so like, you know, being a hypocrite after all the shit I said, but it's like, that's not how I protest. That's yeah. Right. Like you know, Biocorp. I give you example. You know, the Biocorp. He was telling you about the motherfuckers on the ropes with the blackface. Yeah. I have not gone in Biocorp to go in shopping since I saw that shit about nine years ago. <laughs> I'm a I'm a boycott fanatic. <laughs> like Tony knows me. I'll boycott. I'm like, so what? What? Oh, oh that's it. You ain't fuck. You ain't get my money no more. I'm done. Because money always. That's it's that's Economics. it. Economics that's always. It. That's it. That's it. There's nothing else. It's like I will never use your services again. The moment that that actually takes an effect, the people that register, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, should we talk about it? It's like, no, motherfucker, you lost the moment. Over. So that's exactly how I boycott. Because I, I don't want to. I ain't got nothing to say. And all the. Come on, man. If all those people in that crowd said, we are never, or for the next month. We are not going to use Albert Hein. That's like a stop and shop or a supermarket out here. Yeah. Albert Hein would be like, what can we do for you guys? What would you like us to make in a commercial about? What do we need to be saying for you guys to come back shopping? Don't make a fuck Black Lives Matter, you know, whatever. Anti-sword to Pete, a commercial, whatever. It's So that's, that's what it still is. Um, and it's good to show numbers. It's good to show, you know, <clears throat> people show up for shit, for what they believe in, but it's like, you also can crack the system a bit better. I mean, what you're saying is a throwback to when we look at the civil rights, 50s, 60s, right? All yep. the boycotts, like, how long did they say the bus boycotts in Montgomery? That went on for almost a year, right? right? Before, but it, 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 it changed the system. And so I think there's something to be said about the strategic. I, I always worry 
I've talked about this with some friends. I always worry, especially now that we document everything, we yeah. kind of have an Instagram generation. And so, you know, doing it for the gram and, you know, the t-shirts that people want to wear and the comments. And I keep thinking, yeah, but we got a lot more than just, I posted on Instagram exactly. next to this burning car. <laughs> Cause Very yeah. true. And, and, and that's where, that's where the disconnect s- starts from. Mm. Cause it's like, then why are we doing this? Are we doing this to look cool because everybody else is, or we're we doing this because we want to fight the injustice and we're doing this for a reason. Yeah. Or are we just doing this just because everybody else is doing this? We're just following the bandwagon. And that's the thing, you know, there's got to be, a, there's got to be a clear divide. If you're going to do that, it's like, make it purposeful. Yeah. If you're going to post on the gram, make it as something that is epic. Don't just be like, yeah, it's me. Yeah. I'm completely fascinated, Tony. You're, so your daughter wanted to go out and protest and you were like, I'm going to go with her or what kind of sparked yeah. it for her? Well, <laughs> The thing with the thing, the thing with her is, and uh, I'll, I'll give you a little slice of her. She's 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 very she's a very very sweet girl in her ways. You wouldn't you 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 wouldn't think it when you when when you see her in person, and and that's not to take anything away yeah. from her. But she's she has a really really big heart in that respect. So four years ago, she said, uh, "Daddy, I don't like the fact that." Animals have been killed for food. I'm going to be a vegetarian. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, fine, no problem. <laughs> First, and so I'll, I'll backlog. So my, my, my wife has been vegetarian for about 28 years and vegan for the last four. So okay. that also had something, that's also had something to do with it as well. And very, 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 very strict. It never, it has never, ever strayed. So my daughter said, Dad, you know, I want to, I want to be a vegetarian. So I'm like, okay, cool. You know, we're, we're pretty much a vegetarian household anyway. I said, okay, let's see. So first five days she did it. Then on the weekend, she had some wings. <laughs> and I was like, I'm proud. No, I was like, no, no, I'm proud of you. Because it's like, you could have fucked me. Wings, man. That's the only thing keeping me from being vegetarian is wings. I've done giving up everything else but wings, Lord. <laughs> so, that was, so, that was her, so that was her first week. And then the second week... So now, four years on, she hasn't touched one bit of meat. And she's very, very strict. To the point where if she has chewing gum that has gelatin in it, she'll spit it out if she did that was in there. She's mm. very, very strict. So, you know, she, 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 follow, she follows her heart and she follows what she wants to do and does it to the latter. So she says to me, Dad, you know, I've been seeing what's going on in, in America. Can we please go protest? And firstly, I was like, no, no, I don't protest. That's not how I protest. I don't go crowds. And seeing as it's going to be so busy, you've got the COVID <laughs> thing going on. Like, I'm dad, come on, well, let's go. So I was like, okay, fine. Let's do it. And, and we went. And she was just in awe, in awe of the gathering because obviously she knew the injustice of what and why there was a protest. I mean, honestly, she's 13. She's, very, she's a smart kid. She, she knows what's going on in the world. So I, I was very, I was very wow. proud of her that she wanted to go, you know. So we went, we stayed. She took it, she took it all in and was like, "I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad I came." And I was like, "I'm glad, I'm glad you got me to go out because, like Noah said, I've, I've never gone on protests. I've never, you know, like like we said earlier, I wake up every morning black man. That's my pro. I, I wake up morning black. I, I deal with my own struggles if I have them." in my way i don't allow anyone to control my narrative i'll deal with it how i want to deal with it 
so yeah, she, she, she was, she was very happy. I was very, very proud of her. It was a very, very, uh, it's a minimal moment for her in her, in her, in her life. You know, she went back and told people that she'd gone through the process and, you know, I was, I was happy that she, I was happy to do that. I was happy that I went actually, to be honest with you. Very cool. So I've got, these are, these are non-stressful questions because I've been doing what I'm calling a lightning round at the end. <laughs> Because we we had some real heavy conversation for like the last forty five minutes, right. and so um, and I know that we're not gonna between the three of us are not gonna solve the racial situation that is <laughs> the United States. No, if, we can help, if, if we can help the cause on its way, then so be it. Right, right. But um, I'm I'm gonna ask you some questions, and I would like both of you to tell me your responses and it's first thing that comes to your mind and if you want to Great. explain it'll be helpful all right first question if you didn't live in the netherlands where would you go portugal uh, oh so, okay so noah said portugal why portugal well portugal or costa rica okay why uh portugal has a on quick answer uh has a good balance uh, socially, policies, health, so on and so forth, and it's really not that expensive to live, and it's coastal. Okay. Costa Rica? Costa Rica, it's just, fuck, what the Costa Rica, because it's Costa Rica? <laughs> like, yes. well, well, you know, also super balanced, well, you know, right. you know, like, well-governed, like, I'll, yeah. I'll, the only thing I wouldn't, the only reason why we really wouldn't is just, like, uh, climate change. It, yeah. It's, we, I don't know what the time in Costa Rica is like. <laughs> right. Is it go? Is it gonna be here twenty years? That's always the right, question. Like, okay, that kid, is it gonna get swallowed? And I invested all our money in living in Costa Rica, kicking it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Tony, what about you? Probably. <laughs> I would. I would. I, I would have said Thailand, mm. but I'd have to. I, I'd have to go with Indonesia, Bali, somewhere that's near and dear to my heart, somewhere that I go pretty much every year for holiday. And it's a place that it feels like home to me and I can just unwind, just chill, relax, don't have to worry about anything. And I love, I love the weather. I love the climate. I love the food. I love the people. It's easy going. You don't have to worry about anything. It's safe as hell, you know? So yeah, me, Indonesia all the way. So the running theme with both of you is coastline, <laughs> water somewhere. Sorry. Warm yeah. water, <laughs> brown people. Yeah, you know, drugs are legal. Okay. Second question. Favorite dish to make? Oh shit! Probably sashimi. Anything raw, seafoody fish. I'm a I'm a pretty big raw fish guy. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Curry all the way in any shape or form. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> Be it lamb, chicken, peas, pork, curry. Oh, curry. Well, rice. I mean, if we're really that's my, talking. That's my staple. Rice is my staple. That's my, my steam. <laughs> it's my nemesis. Rice is my nemesis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't stand rice. Really? <laughs> nah, man, I'm a Jewish kid from New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
listen, I like we don't and I we we eat soul food from like down south. It's not rice heavy. No, that's fair. That's fair. But like nowhere in more cultures of America did rice get really pushed. That's fair. That's fair. It was like matzo and like corn. Like those are young dead ass. Like it was like 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 matzo. Like that was on one side, and then like corn or flour. It wasn't you know. It wasn't there was yeah. You know the one thing that I that just sort of weirds me out because it's just not in a lot of West African diets. Cheese. Yes, yes. We don't do a lot of di- like if you my family's all my family's always perplexed when, when the cheese shows up because they're like, this is not. Huh? Yeah, they're like, what do we do? It's boring. Yeah. And we and we don't and even like we don't even eat like sandwiches. Like when I was a kid, I told this to someone. Yeah. You know, when mom and dad are packing <laughs> the lunches, everybody's got their little like sandwiches make no sense to me even as an adult. I would have like jollof rice or okra soup and like fufu. Like I would have African meals. And so listen, I wish I could have brought that to school. Because <laughs> sandwiches, Damn. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, why are we having sandwiches? So yeah, so you you're talking about rice, and I'm thinking. We we had a lot of rice, but I could see it. If something's not part of your food culture, yeah, no, you just don't do it. No, you don't even know. Even I eat now, about five kilo of rice a week, <laughs> easily. Listen, unless I'm making sushi, I'm not fucking with no rice. Wow, I just don't, right? Like, yeah, because I love Japanese food. I lived in Japan for a couple, like two and a half years, so yeah. In general, I have so this sushi gets made in the house at least once a week. What's what's the one thing that, in terms of cuisine, what's the one cuisine that you would love to master that you haven't already? Soul food. For real? <laughs> I'm dead ass. Really? Word. Fuck all I, that other shit. No, but I wouldn't have I, thought that. <laughs> Sorry, no, I'll go. I, no, I'll go with that one because it, it. That's the thing. Soul food is is put into a pocket, put into a bracket. It's like there's so much more to it, because Word. yeah, okay. You, you, when when somebody says to you soul food, you consider down South American food, but we from the islands, we eat soul food. So you combine those yeah. two, <laughs> yeah, you get yeah. plan. Oh. Yeah, yeah, man. Definitely, definitely, definitely. I'll, I'll I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. Wow. Yeah, I want. It's like okay, so what? French food? Nah, that's just boring. We did that for years, right? <laughs> like that's our back. It is. That's our background. Like yeah. French yeah. food. Yeah. Right. Like nouveau French. So Japanese, super dope. But I'm not really that anal retentive or OCD, so I probably wouldn't get it right because you got to be on some real, yeah, like repetitive, repetitive, and I have a limit to that. So for me, it's more like what? Okay, so we what's the most um you just said it you just said it right you when you said when you eat a plate of food you could have said anything you're you are bi-coastal bi-continental you right you could have said mcdonald's bbq fufu you decided to say fufu and it's right and okra soup and that's super regional specific that's comfort food that's nostalgia it's filled with memories yeah right so and we've all had different levels of like good soul food, right? Like yeah. where it's acceptable, where it's like fucking Popeye's, right? Yeah. Where that's what you think soul food is. But then it worked, right? Right. But then you get into a different bracket. Like I lived in, I lived in Ghana for a year, 
right? I went to school out there. I lived in Accra. And my mother just brought me out there to make sure I had a proper definition of what black was. Mm-hmm. Because she, I was right 15 in New York. I had this real skewed view of what being a black man was. And she was like, and not that my father wasn't super, super crazy over the top in my life still is. Mm-hmm. She was talking about as a group, mm-hmm. right? Like how you think you are perceived. She was like, let's go to Africa where everyone is black so you can get a quick reality check. Yeah. And we had uh, family friends over there. So we just lived with them for a year. And it was like eating that food was like, well, this is also soul food. Like all of these techniques, all of the ingredients, okra, fried fish, stewed tomatoes, right? Like pounded yam, fried yam. (laughs) Down South food, like Southern hemisphere. So it's like, I would love to master that because remember that shit is what's being lost. French yeah. cuisine isn't ever going to get lost. None of that shit is ever going to go anywhere. <laughs> documented, it's documented right. and it's practiced and refined. Soul food, on the other hand, you have a handful of people who are doing progressive, uh, you know, kind of equator based, you know, cuisine. And it's like, that's what we have to start to cherish, I think, a bit more. So if you ask me if I could wave a wand, it would be that for sure. For I sure. Mean, that might be y'all's next project because I always think about documenting black and brown food in particular. And so this is super funny. I've said this in an interview. Tony. <laughs> I said this in an interview before, but when I came, so left Cameroon, came to U.S. for college, and this girl told me she had a, a mortar and a pestle. And I was like excited because as a kid, a mortar and a pestle is this big on the floor, pound, right? For yams, right? And for you're mashing something. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but even with the slave trade, folks who knew how to pound rice because they used mortar and pestle, that's how people got distributed throughout the South, but whatever. Anyway, so she said she had a mortar and pestle and she brought this little thing and I looked at her and I said, it was for spices, right? And I looked at her and said, nah, man, when you said mortar and pestle, I thought we were gonna pound some yams up in here. And, but I realized like the older I get that, that food, the way my grandmother taught me how to cook it. And I mean like outside on the, like no gadget, no gadgets whatsoever. To this day, even when I cook, I lose very little gadgets. Cause I'm like, my grandmother taught me how to make this from my hand. I don't, I don't want to use all this other stuff because that doesn't taste the same way. So that, that's soul food for me to what you were saying. Yeah, so there's this connective tissue that threads through us, right, that we all feel and we all uh, find comfort in. And I think that that shit needs to get a bit more celebrated and organized. And it's funny you say that, is it the next project? Because before Corona came, Tony and I had uh, a restaurant concept called Heritage that we wanted to do. And it was basically a restaurant based off nostalgic cuisine. Mm. So basically food memories, refined, brought to a level, but based off of like our upbringing. So Tony has heavy, (coughs) right? Heavy Caribbean and British also, but that's just home, but then also trained classically French. Yeah. So, and then I had this Jewish American, black American, and then also trained in like new American, nouveau French. Um, So you had a real melting pot of kind of food and we were like, no, let's just do 
the items that we love, but then let's actually look at them and really make them into something incredible, but keep and find that like old nostalgic, you know, food memory that we had from it. Um, Cause a lot of the times we food, the food that we make that's nostalgic is quite messy and it's not really eating. It's not for looks. Right. Yeah. But like, yeah. There's a, there's a medium to that where you can make that into something that people can find visually appealing and also in a setting and it fits the you know prescription of going out for evening to dinner. So that was kind of the concept that we still hold actually pretty dear to ourselves. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, we wanted a real like, you know, upscale, you know, kind of like brasserie, uh, that was dedicated to just like all nostalgic, uh, you know, cultural, you know, food memories. So you're saying this, <laughs> is it going to come to fruition? Well, no, in Corona, it's the worst time in the world. Well, I know. Well, I, yeah, I'm just saying post-Corona, because I guarantee you someone's yeah. going to call oh, me and be like, gonna, we heard this, where's this no happening? One, no one's ever scared to open a restaurant over here. Like, <laughs> we're always game, we're always game. Um, yeah, we really have to weather this storm out. And, right. you know, we, luckily enough, we really do have enough right now to, to keep us busy. Yeah. Um, so I think we've learned to pace stuff, right? Like keep, keep your idea basket full of real shit you can uh, pull off. And like when it's the time for that concept to, you know, kind of fall into place, it normally does. Right, Tone? Like we're lucky for that. I'm really sorry, guys. It's getting a really bad connection. So if you don't hear me, <laughs> we can hear you. Know, you. Sort of freezing. Oh, you can. We totally can hear yeah, you. Hear you, <laughs> you sound great. <laughs> it just kept on freezing. It looked like I was just laying dormant. <laughs> no, nah, you're good. You're, you're good. good. We can hear you. Fine. Well, I well now y'all kind of led me to lightning question two B, which is I. So I heard all y'all's answers to like what's what's your favorite dish, but now I'm real curious. What is your favorite comfort food and if, is it different nope curry <laughs> okay anything with rice to be honest with you i'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a one pot man <laughs> really i'm really my, like when you see me eat at home i'm random my wife looks at me sometimes like really <laughs> like, I, I will put everything apart i don't care and that shit has got to be microwave scorching hot Oh no! Because I eat my food quick. I'm, I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna save that, man. Yeah, man. I was a greedy kid. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem that I have is if it's not that hot, man, I'm just gonna eat more. That's gonna be scorched. So I take my time. Really, it's hilarious. Go like that. Oh, <laughs> Didn't expect that answer. Uh, Noah, would your answer oh, really? change if it's comfort food? Um. Man, what's comfort food at this point? <laughs> I don't know. What is it for you? I don't, I don't either. Everything's so fucking accessible. It's like, I don't even know if I have comfort food anymore. Maybe it's, maybe it's sushi. But like, also, I don't know. Your food is talk, moving. Yeah, I'm an emotional eater. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like I have, you know. I ain't gonna front, you know what I mean? Like I have days where I'm like, I need a meatball parmesan or a chicken parmesan wedge. Like that's my comfort food. So I had it. So growing up, dig this. So growing up, when I would get, when I'd get sick, 
and have to stay home from school, my father would bring me a meatball Parmesan hoagie, right, or hero, whatever we're calling it, the <laughs> Um, a ginger ale and rainbow sherbet, right? <laughs> okay. That, I'm dead I'm <laughs> That was just like, you know, they get well food, yeah. right? So, yeah. you know, but so that's nostalgic. But then like on Sundays, I went to grandma's house and had uh, my father's mother and had like a huge buffet of soul food, right? Um, but then Saturday morning, I was at my Jewish grandmother's house having like bagel and lox and cream cheese so it's all very like what comfort food what I'm feeling, you know. I don't have. It's weird and and it's funny because you know Tony actually and yourself, you have a very clear like heritage path for like what your comfort food is. There's no like rant, like there's shit that Tony likes because he grew up in East London, but at home it's real like nah, nah this is what I'm fucking with. And for you, I would imagine the same, right? But because it's like, I think that because there's two different hardcore American cultures that both have their own stand yeah. and exhibit them really freely in food when you where you can go get it, um, all of that falls under comfort food, I think. It's strange. So I don't know if I have a particular one. That's fair. Right? Because I'll fuck up some hot wings, too. Like, <laughs> look, look. I mean, hot wings are baseline. But I will say the, the, the African in me, fried plantains, ride or die, always. Right. So like my wife is totally different because she's Dominican, right? So like hers is <laughs> rice with a fried egg and onions on top. Like I can see that. She, she and it's like her go-to. Like if she doesn't want to do anything and just like boom, I'm messing with that. And then maybe some some fried yuca or steamed yuca on the side. Yeah. So like right. See, so you're like yeah. You can't give me that shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're missing the hot sauce, though. Right, you get like, the hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, she's Dominican. Dominican people don't eat spicy food. You forget. See, and we are the other. My family's the other extreme. We love spicy food. They only. Oh, they, tell me about that. They, they, they have it. On, they have it on the side now because I have a my one of my nieces is really young, so they don't want oh, to burn her too. tongue off. But when they're making that sauce on the side in the house, you got to open all the windows because they are yeah, frying the habaneros and like, <laughs> like they ready. I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I love to be. I love to be you can't breathe in, but you can eat. Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> look, look. That don't even make no sense. You know what? Uh, on one of your trips, when you come to a, these United States, I will take you to Richmond, Virginia. You go get you get yourself all the way messed up. On you got you got to come over here, man. You got to come. <laughs> you got to come over here, man. You got to come over. Yeah. No, I can't do it. I don't even. I bear, I force myself now to eat hot food because uh, Jewish American people don't eat hot food. I know. I'm like that side's kind of winning on the. That's my life. Also. I think that goes together. If rice is in the picture, spice is in the picture. And if that's out, that's also out. But for real, I can't. You, If you gave me rice, eggs, and hot sauce, it would sit there until I was like, oh, no. Real fucking hungry. I can't do it. So that's what's so right. So, like, it's also, and that's, a, and that's, and funny enough, uh, that's a black experience in America, right? Like, <laughs> right. I, 
Because I ain't the only one. Like, I know other Jewish black people that's just like that. <laughs> no, no, my family, hot, hot sauce, all that ain't hot enough. Like, for real. They, they, you got to feel it in your soul. Otherwise, you have not I wish it, spiced I wish it properly. The fish, the chicken, whatever you roast it has to be like. There's got to be some ginger and some kick to it, so. I'm, I'm jealous of people who can taste through spice. <laughs> what do you mean taste through it? That's part of the, that's part of the experience. Right, because it's not actually. A chicken isn't born with a hot arrow rubbed on it, so. <laughs> it's not part of the dish. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, it's like saying the chicken is salty and you can taste the chicken through the salt or the, right? Like, I, I, I'm impressed because I have a ceiling where as soon as it gets too spicy, all I taste is eat, and I could just be eating like rubber or cardboard. It doesn't matter actually at that point. You shut it down. Yeah, I'm motherfucker. Like Tony will taste hot sauce, and he'll be like, "Oh yeah, oh, would you put some um da da da?" I'm like, "Motherfucker, what are you tasting? <laughs> like, like what are you sweet? What? What is sweet? Like, there's no variance after a point. So I'm I'm impressed with that. But... Look, all right. So so I know which what person I'm gonna mess with with the hot sauce. And the hot yeah, definitely. All right, last question. If you were not in hospitality, what would you be doing? We'd own an app. <laughs> okay. Or, I, I would say athlete. I would say 100 meter sprinter. Really? <laughs> yeah. No many people could beat me back in the day when I was a kid, man. Oh, Lord. <laughs> He said back no, in the day. You. He didn't listen, say currently. I used to run, listen, I used to run track in dress shoes, man. Don't <laughs> run track in dress shoes. Don't play. I was fast. Wow. I mean, you know, but then... I think I'd be a farmer in real life. Yeah? Yeah, I think I'd be a farmer. I love working outdoors like that. And I love producing uh, something from nothing. Like, you know, absolutely. I think I'd be a farmer. You know, there's. It's never too late. <laughs> not too late. Oh, it's not too. He's not doing play bold. So yeah, you're gonna have to wait until I'm in the retiring time, and I'll fuck with a garden. <laughs> okay. I'm not going out in the fall and winter and shit. <laughs> Tony, you serious about that sprinting? Yeah, I'll tell you, man. I was a contender back in the day. <laughs> tell you, man. Do you still run? No, man. My knees are fucked. Well, I mean. <laughs> <I'm old. laughs> Nah. Not I even can, I, I can sprint a little. But, but I'm not gonna even, sit down after that, man. They need a gone. Not even a light jog. Nah. No. Nah. Hell no. Not even an emergency okay. sprint. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if somebody's chasing me, man, oh you got me. Oh, I ain't even gonna try. I'm gonna just call an Uber. That's what I do. Nah. <laughs> call an Uber. Call an Uber. Nah. I'm good. I'll just sit this one out. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you guys for what has been and what I knew was going to be a really entertaining <laughs> discussion on Always a whole a bunch of things. Um, and I know that everyone's going to appreciate kind of hearing some of y'all's thoughts and what you've been up to. So thank you tremendously for coming on. You got it. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, I was about to say, our pleasure. Thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> The Global Chatter from the Black Expat is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is executive produced by Justin Williams. You can find all episodes of The Global Chatter on Spotify, Apple, 
or wherever you listen to your podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.